Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, October 18th. It's a much-needed boost to the amount of shelter space for Calgary women in need. We catch up with Samantha Lowe, Senior Director of The Mustard Seed, for details on the 40 new spaces now available and the impact they will have on the city. Next, it's a Canadian-made solution to a worldwide issue. We learn about research being done out of McGill University to build a faster-charging, longer-lasting battery to help power everything from electric cars to cell phones. And finally, do you know the difference between winter tires, all-season tires, and all-weather? And which would be best for the snowy season ahead? We get some answers from Mark Pasternak, Chief Instructor of Driver Education at the AMA. Earlier this week, 40 new shelter spaces opened for women in Calgary. City believes this will be enough emergency capacity to make it through winter and the need through the winter months. Joining us to discuss is Samantha Lowe, Senior Director of Shelter Operations for the Mustard Seed. And more details for us. Uh, thanks for joining us, Samantha. Thanks for having me. Uh, before we get to the nuts and bolts of where these spaces are located, uh, let's talk about the need. Uh, is this, in your opinion, enough, or, or could we use more? Um, I can't necessarily speak to more at this point, but definitely we saw the need for the additional 40 spaces. And we are, as you said um, in your intro, hoping that this gets us through the winter season and is a safe space for women to shelter during this time. What does that look like, Samantha, when you, you talk about a safe space, we need to get women, it's a, 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 there are different needs for men, there just are. So, you know, what, what does it look like when you create shelter spaces, particularly for females? Mm-hmm. So um, single women are a demographic that often fall through the cracks in, in our service system. And so by creating women-only um, spaces, especially for those who are single women, so they may not have the same social supports as those who are um, in family shelters or potentially even domestic violence shelters. Um, we're able to tailor services for those who may not have the same social supports, may not have the same access to services, may have challenges with employment, but make it safe for those who previously have experienced um, intimate partner violence or gender-based violence. Um, to use those spaces, feel safe, and move into sustained housing. Where are these uh, located, uh, Samantha? And you can, can you give us an idea of, of what it looks like inside this space? Mm-hmm. So we're down on 11th Avenue, um, 110 11th Avenue. Um, we're up on the third floor, so it allows us to um, sort of create distance between the street and our space and make it safe and homey. Um, there are two women to each room, and we're able to provide, um, you know, private spaces for individuals who are usually utilizing our services. Um, and then a collective eating area for everybody, and then um, individual rooms so that we can meet with clients one-on-one, provide um, case management and guidance into housing or connect them to services such as um, we have counseling or um, system navigation in order to get sustainable income or um, employment. Can we make a correlation, Samantha, between through the pandemic, you know, we heard numbers of, you know, uh, abuse in the home, the, the numbers of women that were being abused. Those numbers were going up. Can we make a correlation between this greater need now for shelter spaces? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so definitely the stress of the pandemic seemed to accentuate um, the uh, intimate partner violence that women experienced. And that stress often um, 
has pushed more women towards uh, utilizing both the general shelter system as well as the domestic violence shelter system. And so we saw that um, the pandemic sort of not only accentuated those numbers, but ended up pushing those women towards utilizing um, safe spaces and shelters. I'm not an expert in the area, but I definitely, there is a correlation that has been talked about in the literature, and we've just seen rising numbers of women using our spaces. Well, at least we have some good news. Mm -hmm. Much needed space opening up this week. Thanks for your time, Samantha. We appreciate the update. Thanks very much for having me. Samantha Lowe, Senior Director of Shelter Operations for The Mustard Seed. You can find out more about the organization at theseed.ca. University researchers in Quebec have produced a battery that can recharge more quickly, hold more of a charge, all than the standard battery that we are used to using. Jeremy Dawkins is a battery research scientist at G Batteries in Ottawa, joins us now to talk about this research. Good morning to you, Jeremy. Thanks for meeting with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, basics of a battery. How does it work in terms of the usage and then the recharge? So a battery stores energy in the form of chemical bonds. And basically what you're doing is you're, you're trying to store energy that we're going to produce from solar panels or wind turbines to be able to use it when we actually need it. Because solar panels, for example, are producing energy between the hours of 10 a.m. and 2 p.m. majoritarily. And most people want to use that electricity when they're making food in the morning or when they come back from work in the evening. And that's kind of the, the role that batteries are going to try and fill. So when you look at, uh, you know, excuse the analogy, building a better mousetrap, in this case, building a better battery, is this just a new way of doing things or is this a tip of the hat to new technology? How, how are you getting the, the leg up here on the competition? So there's a lot of innovation that needs to happen with current battery technologies. Uh, as you guys have alluded to, we're limited by not only the total amount of energy that we can store in the current technology, but how fast you can charge it, which leads to things like range insecurity for electric vehicles when people are worried that they're going to run out of juice in their car uh, if they go for a long drive or drive to another city. And so the, the kind of final goal here is to be able to recharge the car in, for example, 15 minutes or less, and ideally in the same amount of time it takes you to fill a tank of gas. And for that to happen, the technology has to change as well. So, Jeremy, is that the batteries that we're talking about then? We're not talking about, you know, batteries that go in your flashlight specifically. We're talking more, this is more research that was aimed at battery using vehicles. Although the research is definitely majoritarily targeting the automotive industry, uh, these batteries can and will be used in almost any other applications. There's no reason why you wouldn't want to use a lithium-ion battery in your in your uh, flashlight, for example. But yes, the major use case will be electric vehicles, uh, but these also include electric airplanes, which are currently being developed. Mm. Incredible. So this is a, your world. You're immersed in it. What about the rest of us? When could we see these products coming uh, you know, to market to make our lives easier and more efficient? Big players are starting to get extremely serious about battery R&D, battery production, and especially battery production in North America. We're seeing the big kind of car companies that, that we're all familiar with, Ford and Toyota, kind of coming into the space. So we've already moved away from Tesla being the, the single player in the uh, electric vehicle space. Um, and electric vehicles are only going to get cheaper from here on out. Uh, now, how fast we're going to see total implementation is going to depend a lot more on 
government restriction on uh, combustion engine vehicles uh, and stuff like this policy, I think, is what's going to drive the total transition. So this new approach uh, coming from researchers at McGill University and the University de Quebec uh, uh, in Montreal, do we have, I mean, you don't hear about these, this, something like this until a new innovation comes forward. And I, I just, I'm always fascinated at how many great researchers and great research comes out of Canada. Are we starting to be well known for that, would you think, Jeremy? There, there's a big place for Canada in the battery world. Uh, number one, from a, a, a resource perspective, so a lot of the uh, transition metals, for example, that we need in batteries, uh, such as nickel or even cobalt, uh, there are some, some reserves here in Canada, especially nickel. Um, and so in terms of being able to harvest the resources, we're big players, but also, as you've alluded to, in the research and development, Canada is a huge player. And some of the biggest names in battery research are here in Canada. For example, one of the biggest names, uh, Jeff Don, works out of Dalhousie uh, in Nova Scotia, and he's the only academic uh, collaborator to Tesla, for example. So we, do, uh, we, are, we are now building uh, kind of a pretty good reputation in this space. And yes, uh, we're speaking with uh, Jeremy Dawkins, battery research scientist and uh, at uh, G Batteries in Ottawa. It's, it, it, to me, we've only started talking about entering the conversation the past maybe couple of decades about the recycling of batteries before we just toss them into the garbage. So in creating a new battery, a more long-lasting and quicker charging battery for these devices that you've uh, you know, detailed, Jeremy, is that something that's been taken into consideration, the environmental impact and the recycling of a used product? We have, and the life cycle of the battery from cradle to death has been examined ad vomitum, and, and recycling batteries is going to be a huge part of this process. And I think one thing people don't understand is that currently lead-acid batteries, such as are being used to start your car or in certain storage applications, lead-acid batteries are recycled to the 99th percentile. That means 99% of everything in the battery, the lead the copper leads, the plastic is recycled. And we're not yet there with lithium ion. We're not at the, the 90 plus percent mark, but we're closing in. We're at 70%, sometimes pushing 80% recycling. So recycling will be a huge part of this to be able to recollect the lithium, recollect the nickel, recollect the cobalt, and put it into a new battery afterwards. Awesome. I mean, for vehicles, for our cell phones, for everything in everyday use. Thank you so much for sharing this innovation with us. Appreciate your time, Jeremy. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Jeremy Dawkins, battery research scientist at G Batteries in Ottawa. Snow is in the forecast for next week, which means it's time to consider pulling your winter tires out of storage. Mark Pasternak, chief instructor of driver education at AMA, is with us now to chat about when to switch over your tires and why it's so important. Mark joins us now live. Very good morning to you, Mark. Thank you for having me. Now, Mark, uh, before we get in to exactly when we should and the importance of switching out these tires, let's, uh, you know, f- let's, let's put this to bed. The difference between all-season mm. tires, winter tires, and all-weather tires. <laughs> so the basic breakdown, as in layman's terms, you have your winter tires at the top, which are a softer rubber on average. Uh, they do a better job of gelling to the ground. When the cold changes, obviously, uh, more grip, more ability, obviously, on average. If you drop down to your all-weathers at this point, which still will have a snowflake symbol, 
they're kind of a combination of both an all-season mix with a uh, winter tire as well. So they do a pretty decent job overall, not as obviously good overall as a winter tire in general, but they do have a good combination. And they do last longer throughout the season. You can run them all year long if you choose to as well. They're all-season tires, which you'll probably start to hear a little more as we go here uh, as a three-season tire, are kind of like your fall, winter, or sorry, fall, summer, spring scenario where they have a stiffer rubber. They do a decent job in things like, say, moisture and such, but not as a, a good job in the winter in general. But uh, kind of three different variations of what you might feel for rubber at that point. Mark, what do you think for us here in Calgary and Alberta? Is it just best to go with the winters or are all, those all weathers good enough? That's funny thing. I, I mean, an ideal world winter we always endorse first. I mean, they always are the highest priority when it comes to rubber, but all weathers have proven to show they do a very, uh, a pretty good job, to be honest. I wouldn't say no, even that level just being enough for what we control in this province, too. So, Interesting. Uh, talking with Mark Pasternak, Chief Instructor, Driver Education at AMA. And, and uh, Mark, I feel confident asking you this question. Because you don't sell tires for a living, you talk about safety and you're with driver education at AMA. Does it matter if I'm buying the highest end winter tire mm. or all weather tire, or can I get a deal still and not be uh, concerned for my safety? The biggest thing we tell anybody is research. Always look into things, Google, check in for yourself, stats, obviously, and such. They will have a once again, variations of each version of tire as well. So like you said, I mean, the higher end, more pricey tires probably have a slight change to them that some don't. But the reality is research is everything. Find what you think works best, obviously. And one thing to remember about tires is that tires are tires. No matter what you have, winter, summer, or whatever, at the end of the day, habits are the main factor we try to deal with when it comes to driving in the winter. They just are there to help support with a layer, obviously, of control. So the ideal is we always do research as best you can prior to and then just go with works best for you. At the AMA, do you offer, you know, help for people who are looking for all that information and, and you know, maybe tips and tricks and, and how to get out and drive better in the winter? We do. Uh, everything from just going to the website and finding videos and such and information to also applying for a course. We have online versions. We have physical ones you can come to with a classroom. We have uh, brush shops that are two hours at a time through winter driving in the city as well or wherever you are at that point, as well as we have full courses on our commercial side that go with the classroom slash road drive slash track portion as well if you want to get the full experience throughout the day too. So a lot of good combinations of training that are available right off the website itself or just by calling into our main line at AMA. It, it is that tr- tricky, uh, you know, decision when to switch over the tires, Mark. And I know that meteorologist Tiffany Lise from Global News told us snow in the forecast this weekend. But in general, uh, you know, is there the perfect time to do the switchover? Or do you on your calendar personally have a date where you do your switchover? What, what should we be looking at? Uh, the funny thing is we're having a bit of a tease right now, hey, with all these <laughs> beautiful temperatures, yeah. which is strange. But uh, the reality when it comes to tires is... Uh, don't think of it so much as the snow itself coming down. Think of it as the cold. Once the temperatures drop and you get, say, 7 or below, give or take is what we always say, anywhere in the range of 7 and below, things start to harden up when it comes to rubber. So your all seasons and such will harden up more than the rest. Your winter tires will last, obviously, longer with the rubber being softer. But we always say rule of thumb, anywhere in the range of that kind of plus 7 and below, when we get to that category, which we're starting to slowly see that now in the evenings and things and at night. Uh, any time from here on is a good time to just throw them on right now before the rush starts as well, too. So, Mark, other reminders as we get into the colder weather. What do we need to keep packed into our vehicle? 
Uh, we always suggest a basic uh, safety kit of some kind, emergency kit, depending on your convenience, the roads you drive on every day. Uh, at the base level, you drive in the city, things like obviously if you have uh, a medical kit of some kind, uh, extra clothing like a jacket, some gloves, some extra socks, say socks, toque, obviously maybe some snow pants in the trunk. If you're finding you're doing a lot longer trips, things like a small shovel, obviously, uh, uh, non-perishable foods are always good, especially if you know you have to stop somewhere or you're going to be stuck somewhere potentially for a few hours waiting for somebody to help you too. So depending on convenience of what you can get to faster or the more roads you take, we always said add a little bit more. And once again, the website we have can guide you to a whole list of things just to kind of suggest of what to, to provide to as well. Well, unless you are one of those people who put it off and, and leave your winter tires on till stampede, uh, you know, we, technically we should be getting half use of our winters or, or uh, you know, all season tires and then switching them up to the summer. We should get, you know, twice the number of years, you would think, uh, or sorry, uh, twice the number of lifespan because you're using seasons. But how long should a winter tire last before I need to get new ones? In general, I mean, if you're running them smoothly, like you said, you're keeping them for the winter conditions, obviously, when that plus seven and below starts happening. I, most winter tires can go anywhere from the range of five to eight years, minimal to no problems in most cases. Uh, some people drive a little faster. Some people drive a little harder at times as well, so it can kind of shorten the lifespan. But switching in and out and maintaining them just for those winter months, they should get a good, decent amount of years in most tires. There is uh, other levels of things like expiry dates you'll see on some versions of tires and things, obviously, that you can look into on Google and such. But uh in general, uh, just keeping the maintain, keeping the air pressure as well, as equal as possible and as, as close to the numbers as you need, helps reduce the wear and tear on them too. Andy burning donuts in the parking lot out, you know, down below, that's not a good idea for your tires, is it? <laughs> also illegal too, yeah. <laughs> Andy, <laughs> stop it. Uh, uh, the AMA, Mark, I mean, can you kind of give us a little reminder about, uh, you know, what does it cost to join the AMA? But, you know, I know there are a million benefits that come along with it. The funny thing about the AMA uh, membership as well is that we always kind of think tow trucks, uh, uh, movie tickets, and um, uh, just the basics, obviously. But there's so many things behind the scenes that you wouldn't even think of. Uh, battery checks, uh, discounts at places as well. But I like what he said when he said five to eight years. Because, I didn't I mean, realize that. Who really knows? Well, you think about it, though. Technically, you should. And I was doing this, uh, you know, in my head the other day when I said, we don't have the snow yet. But you think about November, December, January, February. March, five months. So not exactly, and if you're diligent putting them on, mm-hmm. and take, then I think the importance is taking them off. Sometimes you catch yourself, and it's like the end of May, and you're right. like, what am ah, I doing I've been on these here? forever. Yeah, and then that's when you're going to see the damage, because uh, listed on a lot of the manufacturers, it's when the temperature is consistently seven degrees or colder. The rubber is better to, to grip. Um, but not just that, you can cause damage if it's warmer. Because the, the rubber is meant, the compounds right. are meant to not exactly run on pure concrete that is warmer. So I think if you're caring for them, that five to eight years, it is an investment. It's a kick in the pants. It is an investment. But, but if know. you can do it, I mean, honestly, I know people are like, oh, who cares about winter tires? But when you do it, you make that switch and you try winters, boys, that make a Ooh. world of difference in the way you're able to drive here, and here. stop.